You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to this episode of We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle. You're listening to episode 321. We're going to talk about open borders and why they're a good thing. And then we're going to talk about how much Hillary Clinton sucks. So something for everybody. Uh, lots of lots of great material today. So make sure you stay tuned here on this October 10, 2018 episode. With me is Harry Price. And we'll get started right after this very important disclaimer. Warning. This show is for adults. Produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Alright, welcome to the show tonight. We're going to have a fun night. It's just me and my old buddy Harry. Harry Price, how are you? Going good, going good. Long day of work. Yeah, so we're, we did it on a Wednesday night. We're doing it a little early so I can live tweet with Rupert. I'll explain that in a second. You had a thing yesterday, so yeah, little little off, but a lot of things. A lot of things are off. Uh, you walked in and I was asleep. Yeah, he was in his blanket fort. You know, uh, at first I was worried. I heard, "Are you okay?" But, yeah. Well, we, when I got to the door, the door was ajar. Right? And I was like, "Oh no!" You know, finally, you know, something happened. You know, you know. That's what I said. Finally, <laughs> finally, listen to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I opened the door. I didn't see, you know, you know, the house was still clean. So, okay, what's going on? You know, so right. I called out, didn't hear anything back from him. And I finally, like, peeked around the corner, you know, and saw him there in his blanket fort. <laughs> <laughs> I was, oh, this is nice. Just uh, noticing um, uh, Vote Your Conscience on YouTube, on our YouTube channel. Thank God I found you. I am at home at last. Isn't that sweet? Uh, yeah, we have a YouTube channel. You can watch the video of every episode. You can listen to every episode. Uh, if you're if you're the type that can't listen to the podcast at work, but you can on YouTube, then you can get all the audio from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and most of our shows. Uh, the Boss Hog fellas have their own channel, um, but everything else is on that channel. We're trying to get to a thousand so we can try and monetize it. Correct. Um, I just want to make a hundred dollars so I can get that twenty one that already exists in the account sent to me. So if you would, please go like us on YouTube. Uh, you can uh, watch all the videos. So, you know, when Mittens walks up on the table as she is right now, you can then see her tail in the shot, and, it, and it's very exciting stuff. Plus, 
Every Saturday night, or every Sunday night at 8 p.m., we have a video series called Fundamental Freedoms with Sarah Brady Wagner, where we take two or three minutes and break down the basics of libertarianism. And that is specifically designed for you to share with your friends. It's non-threatening. It's it's simplistic. It's really well done. So go check that out. A work in progress. So please like our YouTube channel. Um, so yeah, a nice, uh, gentle show tonight, hopefully. We're, we're gonna talk about, um, some open border stuff, little immigration stuff. We're gonna talk, we're gonna go through my Facebook page, because I've been on fire lately, and making a lot of good points. And, uh, one of the things that we'll cover as we go down that list of stories is Hillary Clinton finally telling the truth. For the first time ever, Hillary Clinton has told the truth. You're gonna, I don't know if you've heard about her comments yesterday. No. Oh, no. I'm not even going to let you no. know. No, that's the reason why we didn't record it today. I was super busy yesterday. Yeah, so we, we've, we've got a ton going on. But, um, you know, Harry and I talk from time to time about wall management. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I know that it seems that I'm in charge around here. But we do have managers. Yep. Yeah, so this is a this is an outfit run by by a corporation. We do have corporate overlords, mm-hmm. um, Susan and Rose. They are our bosses, and every year I go in and I have a meeting with them and uh, have a meeting with wall management. And uh, well, we'll just take a listen, Harry. They it didn't go well. Oh. So take take a listen. All right, guys. So for the last year, we've talked about wall management. And, uh, you know, I love to share everything with you. So I decided to secretly record this year's review with them. And I'm walking into the conference room now. So take a listen. Welcome for Wall Mansion. My name is Susan, and this is my associate, Rose. It's time for you, Ruby. Hi, yeah, I'm Chris. I'm the host of We Are Libertarians. Welcome to the meeting. Nice to see you again. It's great to be here. I feel like we had a really good year. Uh, you know, we went through a lot of changes. Uh, so so what do you think of the show right now? Sucks. Bye, show. What information are you doing at, on the air? <laughs> I'm going to fire you <laughs> if you don't get your ratings up. This is a terrible show. You're not rap, Kendall. You can do better. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I thought things were going really well. I just introduced Walt Daly, where I do monologues. You're no Alex Jones. Maybe take a little super mentality. You are very low. I'm Tess alone. Okay. Well, what about Harry? Because he's great. Hey, you stop. We're gonna have to cancel your 2019 contract. As you know, we haven't cut back. No more toffee. But we have a ton of great shows right now, like the Boss Hog of Liberty. Bye, show. It's time to cancel this show. And please stop feeding people to alligators. No fun. All right, but what about Brian Nichols? North. Leventon is a north. I said he sucks. Poop. Stop wasting your boat. Man, there has to be at least one thing that you like about this network. Tab Washer is the only good show. I love Tab Talk. They've been a huge weight. Na 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 Look at the Patreon numbers. They're way up from when we introduced it this time last year. You can do better. Did you see these numbers? 
I feed better numbers inside my sister's diaper. It's no fine. You loser. You need to get that numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. I sold five million by the time when I two. Where are my pie charts? Man, you'd think you'd like this show more in the age of Trump. Boo Donald Trump! Boo Donald Trump! I hate him. I know, please. I really thought that this was going to go a lot better than it did. I mean, is there anything else? Yes. You can do better. Not to mention you're ugly and for goodness sake. Trying to not look so fat on YouTube. Where else? I'm canceling this show. I don't want to see you again. Get out of my office. Have a nice day. Okay, well, thanks for your time and, and I'll talk to you soon. I said the day. <laughs> I said I just tooted. Thank you, Jason Food Doodle. Thank you, Tristy Avery. Thank you, Trader Doctor. Thank you, Pop Junior. Thank you, Liberation. <laughs> and everyone that donated to Patreon. I don't want to. I was going to tell his son. That's real. Frontier. Gibberish. <laughs> we got they they before the meeting ended they did thank Jason Doofoodle yeah and uh, Christy Avery Craig De Costa uh, Paul Junior yeah. <laughs> and the Lambert Coalition uh, so yes uh, uh, clearly uh, Harry they were no fan of you yeah yeah um, I was shocked 2019 um, count can- contract canceled. No more coffee, and uh, Rose says it's stinky. Uh, it, uh, you know what? I'm going to have to you know, reapply the contract, switch it up, switch some things up. Uh, I don't know. But- They're pretty firm in their words. <laughs> yeah. uh, they called Brian Nichols a nerd. Yeah, that was... <laughs> He said, libertarians are nerds and stop wasting your vote. Yep. I know. It was rough. It's, it's got to be rough. Yeah, but then they told me to not look so fat on YouTube, which is accurate, honestly. Well, the camera adds, you know, like 20 pounds. Yeah. And Amiibo is 25, so. <laughs> right. Exactly right. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, so my favorite part of that was, thank you, Jason Foodoodle. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very, very cute. Yep. Uh, long conversation was had after that, which was... You're not allowed to say these words to anyone. This was for pretend. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, yep. sorry, sorry about your contract, Harry. Uh, they love Tad, though. Tad gets a huge raise. No, 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 no. So, you know, I got to be honest. I'm sitting here trying. I, I literally told Harry, "I go, I got nothing, man. I, I'm." So here's how I do this show. When I'm reading, I, I have to do a lot of reading. So you have to go out and you have to find some stuff. And you have to mm-hmm. go, all right, I don't know what's going on in the world. And if I'm going to talk about it in three days, then I better read a newspaper or a magazine or a blog or something. Right. And for the first time in a long time, I read and I read and I was like, nothing's grabbing me. Because William F. Buckley once said, he was asked, how do you know what you want to write about? He's the founder of National Review. He said, uh, simply, I find something that pisses me off and then I write about it. And that's sort of how uh, I do this. I, I approach it the same way. If it evokes passion in me or if I have a comment about it, then I want to talk about it. Um, and so there wasn't a lot this week. Uh, so in terms of current events, there isn't a ton of stuff. But 
you know, thanks to our amazing research team, and, and you may not know this, but something really cool behind the scenes is happening at We Are Libertarians, and I'm very thankful and I'm very appreciative for it. Uh, we've introduced We Are Libertarians daily, so those weird episodes that you see in between the episodes now, those are we're going to test that out for a while and see, you know, how long before we get burnout, if we ever get burnout, how many days a week can we give you episodes, how many different voices can we give uh, to your audience, you know, for instance, Sarah Brady Wagner and Hody Johns just recorded an episode about in vitro fertilization. To be quite honest, that's not a show that I would have ever planned out. But we already got one comment in the Discord saying, holy crap, I love this. Thank you for doing this episode. Because part of what We Are Libertarians is about and what the goal has always kind of been, what National Review did, uh, William F. Buckley has always been a hero of mine and, uh, you know, and especially my former uh, co-host Greg, uh, you know, because... What Buckley did is he invited in a bunch of people from the right. He invited in people like Murray Rothbard, for instance, to participate in National Review, and a, a ton of libertarians and a ton of conservatives and paleoconservatives and neocons and a bunch of different people who were just on the right mm-hmm. to have this conversation um, from a right perspective. And he ended up creating the new, the new right essentially, in, in, the, uh, in the wake of Goldwater. And our goal at We Are Libertarians has always been to kind of get to this point where we have a bunch of different libertarian voices, regardless of where they fit on that, oh, this is an anarcho-capital. Like, this is not an outlet that... We're, I'm, I'm not Roger Paxton. I love Roger dearly. Uh, you should go listen to the Lava Flow podcast. He's a very strong ANCAP. Mm-hmm. He's on Free Talk Live. Those guys are ANCAPs. And and so they're trying to give you an ANCAP perspective. And when Roger tries to put together a show, he's trying to put together ANCAP co-hosts. And that's not my that's not my goal. My goal is not to give you one definite perspective of libertarianism. It is to carry on a conversation amongst a large variety of people who make up a, a diverse backgrounds um, of both thought, of lifestyle, of opinion. You know, we have everybody from. Uh, you know, I probably fall into this, the more uh, Christian, personally conservative camp to the more liberal humanist perspective coming from the left, um, male, female, uh, you know, and even in the history going back, you know, somebody like Maya, who was trans, uh, may still be for all I know. <laughs> we don't care. We don't keep up. Don't keep up. Um, but the goal has always been to have a an ongoing conversation amongst libertarians that are friends, that get along, Mm -hmm. for the most part, and airing it so you can then listen in and talk about current events and talk about the human perspective, what it means to be a human being in 2018, and how do we negotiate the rules? Because one of my firm beliefs is, is, you know, when Jefferson talks about refreshing the tree of liberty with the blood of patriots, what he's talking about is every generation must relearn liberty every generation must relearn the lessons that were that were learned the generation before because we do a poor job of remembering um you know i think the jewish faith is is fantastic in the way that it remembers its history so well and every year and and every holiday is a reenactment of their history to never forget the lessons that were taught And I think we've become, in the digital age, even worse at remembering a lot of things. And so we want to put this stuff on tape for people. 
And by having conversations that human beings in 2018 connect, can connect to, they start to realize that they do belong within the libertarian movement. Maybe not the libertarian party. Maybe they want to be Republicans or Democrats or non-voters or whatever. But just that uh, this libertarian thing seems like normal to me because they're hearing real people have real conversations. And so... Mm-hmm. One of the things that I found over the last year is that, A, I'm trying to do too much, and I, I don't want it to be just about me. Um, obviously, you know, I started it. I'm the founder of this, and I think most people come to listen to what I have to say, to be quite frank, uh, based on the download numbers. But people want to hear different voices. They want to hear different topics, and they want to hear things that Harry's interested in. They want to hear things... Like, I'm not particularly uh, knowledgeable, nor am I terribly interested in um, a lot of the things that may be posted in these daily episodes. But that's not the point. You know, when Harry is super on fire about something and it may not interest me, I find that a good portion of the audience really wants to hear what Harry is talking about. You know, and so I don't want to create an an, uh, an army of little Chris Spangles just going out there and, and you know, and so we're recru- we're recruiting people to to record these little daily 20, 30 minute episodes. People that I know have uh, the ability to pull it off, the ability to put into words their insights, to cover things from a perspective that are really detailed and are not going to waste your time. And, uh, you know. And then quality of audio, which initially it's going to be a little rough. Yeah. <laughs> Just stick with it. We're going to, as as the Patreon dollars roll in, what I'm going to do is send equipment to some of these regular recurring hosts. So, you know, I listened to a couple today and I'm like, I got to get that guy a mic. I got to get this guy a mic. I got to. So there, that's what the Patreon money is going to go towards. It's going to go towards upgrading equipment and things like that. It, it always does. And uh, supporting that network, and so the goal is to give you more, which is what you've what you've asked for. We want more content, we want more voices, we want more subjects, and we want it in this sort of style. Uh, a lot of these are going to be conversational between a couple people. Um, some of them may be monologues, some of them may be interviews, some of them may be debate audio. Uh, who knows? We're just going to kind of test it out. We're going to experiment a little bit. Uh, and see what you guys like and what you don't. Already getting really good comments on the first couple, and uh, we appreciate that. And so if you'd like to see it continue, you got to do three things. First, donate on Patreon, and make it clear that your Patreon donation, you know, get in the group or send me a note and say, hey, it's going f- because you're doing more content. Two, share it on social media and say, I loved this episode. I got a lot out of this episode. Hey, check this out. And number three, send me a note and just say, hey, I really liked this. And send the host a note because their currency is going to be, uh, you know, for now, the currency is compliments. And so if you like what somebody put their time and effort into, it took them probably an hour to to research that 20 minutes of content you're hearing. Um, you know, so the, that 20 minutes is probably taking uh, an hour or two to put together. Make sure you thank them. And let them know they're doing a great job and copy me on it because I want to hear who you like. So so that is what is up with the extra stuff in the feed. And I hope that you like it. And, um, you know, my fear is when you when you change things up a little bit, especially when you maybe overwhelm a feed with content, people unsubscribe. But 
I'm not that worried about it because I feel that the people who will stay are the ones who really want that content in the first place. So, uh, so that's what we're doing. That's what we're up to. This was all Harry's idea. So if you hate it, then you can blame Harry. <laughs> Uh, we are looking forward to your first episode, Harry. Uh, it's mandatory for you, everybody else. Uh, it's it's voluntary, uh, but we got Reinhold, we got Sarah, we got Hody, we got I'm gonna get, I'm gonna we got Brian Nichols recording one as we speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're gonna have Tad do some. I'm, I'm talking to Clayton Harrison. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Yeah, good Clayton, old Clayton. Clayton Harrison in New York City about doing some. Now that he has a nice job, he has a pseudonym. Well, um, I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so we'll. Uh, but anyways, so that's that's what's going on, Harry. Uh, when you do your first episode, what's it going to be about? I have absolutely no idea because I have been jumping into a lot of this um, Saudi Arabia stuff from um, <laughs> WikiLeaks, and so I've been. I can't really read Arabic, so it takes me a while to like translate it and get it translated several different spots. So like I'm just kind of delving into like crap most people don't even care about so i don't really know but it could be like you know but there's so much other stuff like i really feel like doing an whole episode of why i hate facebook okay. and because i feel like i'm keep having the exact same conversation like well why aren't you on there more often why are you on there it's like it's like yeah i, I hate it and, and it's not <laughs> like a normal hate like well like everyone's got these other reasons why, why they hate facebook i i have like reasons like that I feel that are valid and why I dislike the place. Well, we want to hear them. The people want to hear from Harry. You're very popular. Am I? Not with me because I tried to set up a Linux server today and it didn't go well, so I'm blaming you. Um, Honestly, I think the Linux server probably did everything fine. I think you probably forgot to sudo <laughs> one too many times or someone accidentally gave you root privileges. Uh, I don't know what I did. You're going to have to come over and help me. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, let's jump into it. Uh, so this prep, uh, as I said, we've got uh, a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. One of them is our research team. And if you're out there and you're, you're tired of wasting your time on Facebook arguments and want to put that, uh, that brain power towards something more useful, then hit me up privately and you can join our research team, editor at wearelibertarians.com. And uh, we've ha- we've got several different shows already prepared in there, you know. And so if I'm not feeling the inspiration. Then I was able today to go in there and go, oh wow, great information, all put together by our friend Hody Johns, uh, member of the research team that we've got. Tons of detail, you know. And so it it is uh, it is one of the benefits of kind of creating a little network of people who are willing to work together to bring you great information. And uh, that takes time to manage, and uh, I'm not doing great at it, but we'll get there. <laughs> but uh, thankfully, we've got really great people like Hody putting together research. And uh, so, you know, he came to me and he said, I want to I talk about the argument for open borders. And I look at it from a very um, philosophical perspective. You know, and, and I've said before that my feelings on it are mixed for a lot of different reasons, which we'll kind of get to in this. But the, 
he in the research that he did, he made some really compelling points that I want to share with you. But okay. I think first, what we need to do is really to define some terms, right? Mm-hmm. And so we we're not doing great at this as a society. We're arguing feelings. We're arguing things that we think are true, but we're not actually arguing definitions. What is a leftist? What is a liberal? What is a progressive? What is a conservative? What is a right-wing conservative? What is a, you know, so there's all these different terms that everybody's throwing around at each other. Yeah. And it's very subjective at the, at this point. And so, yeah, it uh, means nothing. It almost means nothing. Right. Calling someone left or right means almost nothing nowadays. Right. You know, it's like your traditional conservative, like Mike Pence in the media now gets called a far right-wing conservative. No, he's just your milk toast, run-of-the-mill conservative. Yeah. But you add that little far right-wing, and then it sounds scary. Scary. Um, so the argument for open borders. So let's define some of these terms. This This is all from the Cambridge Dictionary. Uh, So an open border is a situation in which goods and people can enter and leave a country easily. So it's just uh, open. It's it's like um, Mm -hmm. how would you how would you put it? Not not even mesh. It's just there's nothing there. Open. Open. Just open. You just travel. Open. No no barriers to entry. Correct. Right. Correct. A conditionally open border is a border that allows movement of people across the border that meet a special set of conditions. So it can be as simple as showing an ID, which is the case between the UK and Ireland. So mm-hmm. you just have you you don't get harassed. There's no border guards. There's no passports. It's just hey, show your ID, so we kind of check you, and then you can move between those two borders. It's it's low barrier, low uh, minimum security prison mm-hmm. is maybe yeah. the way we ought to put it. Yeah, as you escape the prison colony, which is the UK. Right, uh, controlled border. A border that allows movement of people between different jurisdictions, but places restrictions and sometimes significant restrictions on this movement. This type of border may require a person crossing this border to obtain a visa, or in some cases may allow a short period of visa-free travel in the new jurisdiction. A controlled border always has some method of documenting and recording people movements across the border for later tracking and checking compliance with any conditions associated with the visa or any other border crossing conditions. A controlled border places limitations on what a person crossing the border can do in the new jurisdiction. This is usually manifested in limitations on employment, and also it limits the length of time the person can legally remain in the new jurisdiction. This is the current type of border the U.S. has with Mexico, for instance. A closed border... So that's medium security prison. Yeah. So like we have medium security prison between Mexico and the United States. Mm-hmm. Then there's closed border. A border that prevents movement of people between different jurisdictions with limited or no exceptions associated with this movement. These borders normally have fences or walls in, in which any gates or border crossings are closed. And if these border gates are opened, they generally only allow movement of people in exceptional circumstances. The demilitarized zone between the North and South Koreas and the Berlin Wall could have also been called a closed border. So this is maximum security prison. Um, and so, you know, sometimes the argument is between the open border right. and the the maximum security prison border. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the reality is it's always going to fall in between there because 
we're not in this day and age it's like we're making it binary as opposed to the gradations that exist the gray areas don't exist it's black or white well, uh, I see what you're saying. I see. I see what you're saying. It doesn't exist, but I think the, I think all the, besides the closed bar, all those borders type of exist inside the United States. Right. There is an open border between Greenwood and um, Indianapolis, mm-hmm. Southport. There's a open border between Lawrence, Indianapolis, Lawrence and McCordsville, Lawrence and Geist. These are open borders. They're right. borders of towns. These are actual towns. They have, you know, they have different, you know, rules and regulations in each town as you move it over there. Just like there's an open border between Illinois and Indiana. Right. You know, there's free movement of travel between anyone going from Illinois to Indiana. Then you've got, um, what is it, Minnesota up there, the northern part of Minnesota, where, where people travel through Canada to get to the other part of Minnesota and to get back to the United States again. Um, which is, you know, like I said, borders are silly places, um, where you, they simply just have to show ID, call on a, it's not even a border guard that's there, it's a phone, nah. and they get out and they call on the phone and they just say that they're crossing and they give their ID number. There's a school bus that actually goes across this border every day for school and they stop and they give all the kids IDs, numbers to these num- to the phone box and the bus driver gets back on the bus and they drive across the border again and they do this again every day. Yeah, so this is a good time to mention a couple distinctions in open borders. There's the de jour open border, uh, which is not the soup of the day. Uh, Open borders that are legally recognized as open and non-restrictive. De jour means in law in Latin. India and Nepal are examples of having a de jour open border as legal statute exists that demands all citizens be allowed to go back and forth without restriction. De facto open borders... Borders that may or may not legally be open, but since no enforcement or law exists, people are able to cross them freely. Canada and the U.S. have a de facto open border, mm-hmm. as both countries can legally restrict movement over the borders, but neither actively do. Yep. So there's there's ones where... Except in weird places. There's some weird places where you've got to cross and stuff like that. Right. But you could go like 10 minutes down the road and it's just cross the street or miss your Jeep. G- Lose GPS um, connection in the woods and walk right across the border. Yeah, you know it's weird. So let's let's take a look at the history of borders within the United States. Let's look at some historical perspective. Okay, because we, I think you know the constitutional conservatives would argue that the founders wanted a closed border, but when you actually look at history, that's not the way that it worked. So when you look at the Articles of Confederation, for instance, literally every single person in America was an immigrant, including the natives themselves, whose migration was well documented. So it, it everybody in the beginning of this country was an immigrant. And then the Constitution... And, and, and slaves. And slaves, that's right. Uh, and the Constitution guarantees... Then the Constitution was written, and it guarantees freedom and protections for all peoples, not just citizens. So so sometimes people will argue that the Constitution is written for Americans, but that's not the way that the founders saw it. The founders saw the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution as this is natural law. We're writing from a place of if you're human, these conditions should exist this way. Mm-hmm. And the only time that they actually talk about non-citizens and what rights they do or don't have within the borders of the United States, they expressly mention it. 
And so it goes out of its way to tell us what rights non-citizens don't have, namely running from president, House, Senate, or Supreme Court qualifications. So, And they only wrote those in because those people had uh, the ability to control the force of government. Correct. And so they didn't want a foreign power coming in and infiltrating the government mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, coordinating and colluding with a, a candidate and then having them take over. Right. Which, ha- uh, which happened. Yeah. What happened in uh, European courts where they would, you know, get someone in there and they play the court system to, you know, get in power of different like in royalty. Right. And so the the beginning of America, the first 100, 150 years, you had a tremendous amount of. Uh, growth and uh, and um, you know, inventions and economic uh, opportunities and and things were cr- were created because of immigrants that weren't first born Americans in that uh, in that group. For instance, Joseph Pulitzer, uh, Hungarian immigrant, revolutionary journalist. Levi Strauss was a German immigrant. He pop- popularized jeans, obviously. Irving Berlin, the Russian immigrant who wrote White Christmas and God Bless America, served in World War I as well on the American side. You had Alexander Hamilton, the Caribbean immigrant. He pioneered capitalism, um, helped with win the Revolutionary War, persuaded New York to join the Union, and authored the Federalist Papers. You had Andrew Carnegie. He was a Scottish immigrant. He spearheaded the Industrial Revolution, connected the U.S. with railroads, turned steel into a staple of construction. You had Ayn Rand, who was a Russian immigrant. She was an objectivist, a libertarian icon, and authored Atlas Shrugged in the Fountainhead. There's Nikola Nikola Tesla, Nikolai Tesla, a Croatian immigrant, electrical pioneer, inventor of the Tesla coil and the alternator, and uh, radio and many different other things. There's also um, the Marquis de Lafayette. He frequently Mm -hmm. took advantage of the open borders between France and America. Yep. With the rest on this list, you could argue that maybe they would have gotten into America after some extra hassle and time, but under current conditions, Lafayette never would have been able to move as freely as he did and participate at the level of government in which he did. Without Lafayette's ability to move from country to country freely, we would have undoubtedly lost the Revolutionary War mm-hmm. because he was so dedicated to the American cause. Um, and these are all people who immigrated here prior to 1921. And that's when things changed. Imagine that in the progressive era <laughs> or, or short, shortly after the progressive era. Um, so you have a massive amount of immigrants. My A lot of my family immigrated here with the German uh, immigration in the 1870s. I don't know about your family. Um, we have some I have some family that fought in the Civil War. Uh, for the Union on my dad's side, I have uh, English royalty on my on my mom's side, I also have uh, Hatfield, Hill, Hatfield, you know, Hatfield and yeah. McCoy, mm-hmm. Hill people on my mom's side. Okay. Uh, the, the tree doesn't fork a lot in one branch of, of my family. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then she married English royalty. God bless America. But, um, you know, I'm third or fourth generation German um, on my dad's side. And I actually had a date last night with um, a family uh, – she she's Vietnamese. Okay. Her parents immigrated here uh, in the nineties, and you know she had a whole history of her family's immigration story to this country. Hmm. 
I'm third or fourth generation out. I have no history. I have no idea why any of my ancestors immigrated to this country, mm-hmm. but I can tell you that they did. So I am a little jealous of that story. By the way, the day ended with, hey, it was great to meet you. It's usually not a good sign you're going out again. <laughs> you don't know that. <laughs> no, I know that. Um, so, but, you know, we, we, are, we are so assimilated now, three or four generations in, most of us, that we don't know how our families immigrated here. Uh, so things changed in 1921, and that's when the Emergency Quota Act. Harry, if somebody in government mm-hmm. introduces something with the Emergency Blank Act, <laughs> how do you react to that? It's like, uh, knee-jerk reaction to some bull crap. That's never going to go away. It's never going to go away. It's going to be the worst, but it's going to be temporary, but it's going to be the worst thing imaginable. And guess what? It wasn't temporary. We're still living with it in, in, <laughs> nearly 100 years later. So why did we stop letting people in? Why did we start to go from more of an open borders, free country to more of a closed borders uh, country? It was became, because people became scared of white Eastern Europeans in the aftermath of World War I. Uh, so study.com writes, so what spurred the Emergency Quota Act? In the early 1900s, there was a social anti-immigration movement in the United States. People began to push the federal government to restrict the number of foreigners who could enter the country. This is ironic given that there were so many people here that were already, in fact, foreign-born. There was an inherent prejudice and fear against those who were born elsewhere, known as xenophobia, This fear contributed to the nativist movement, which believed in rejection of anyone foreign-born. So, uh, from the actual law, the most important legislation from the earliest... uh, So, this is actually... What's the source on this? Let me look at this. Uh, Immigration.laws.com writes about this particular piece of legislation. The most important legislation from the earliest 20th century came in 1921. Referred to as the 1921 Quota Act, this legislation utilized immigration statistics to determine a maximum number of immigrants allowed to enter the United States from each nation or region, a practice we still continue today. The numbers were skewed, skewed to favor immigration from Western European nations while severely curbing immigration from areas perceived to be undesirable, Mm. which at the time was Eastern Europeans. Um, In what would be a great twist of fate, the act limited immigration that only targeted whites, and the act set no limit on immigration from Latin America. As with many government policies, it was intended to be temporary. Thus, why would the emergency uh, word be in that title? But the government never got around to giving the power back to Americans. In 1965, this law was replaced by the Immigration and Nationality Act, which expanded upon these powers and allowed the government to base citizenship on a system of preferences based on immigrant skills and family relationships with U.S. citizens or U.S. residents. So I actually heard Rush Limbaugh talk about this today. Mm -hmm. He mentioned this very thing that I heard him talking about. And here's how he spun it. Uh, in uh, Dottle Up, Dottle Up, in 1921, uh, the uh, the f- the f- uh, great Americans who ruled over the country at that time basically said, you know, we need to put a we need to put a stop to all this immigration because we've got too many new people here, and we need to l- give them time to assimilate. So we're going to stop immigration. 
And then Teddy Kennedy and the Democrats in 1965 realized that people didn't like progressivism, so they crafted the 1965 law to allow their base to grow by allowing in more minorities to come in and start voting for Democrats. Now, that's how Rush Limbaugh interpreted that information that I just gave. <laughs> and he may not be, he may not be, I mean, on the assimilation part, he's wrong. Yeah. It was blatant racism, but, you know, yeah. uh, the early 1920s was when the Klan was in charge of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Not for nothing. Right. Um, the birth of the nation had been shown by Woodrow Wilson previously, mm-hmm. in the previous decade. Uh, and... But in the six in the sixties, the immigration overhaul it could have totally been Teddy Kennedy, Teddy Kennedy, and the Democrats trying to expand their political base. That sounds like something that politicians would do. In the um, Kennedys, yeah, in the Kennedys. But so uh, I can't say that for sure. So, but we're in a different place in nineteen twenty one, and uh, hasn't the environment changed to the point that we uh, that we don't have to discriminate anymore? I mean, think about the difference between America now. And America in 1921. Toilet paper wasn't a staple in the home for for m- almost any homes until the mid-1920s. So people were still wiping their butts with corn cobs. Yep. At least here in Indiana. Or their hands, or not at all. Buildings still running on DC power, That's having right. diesel generators in the basement. and If they had kerose- Or if kerosene. They, if they had power. They, yeah. You know, uh, you the, the car was barely something that many people were using. Uh, so think of uh, people weren't flying on planes on commercial planes yet. Uh, so the the reality is that the world is a bit different in 1921. The economic think of the wealth in the United States now versus a hundred years ago. It's it's night and day. And so what argument do we have for not what what is the what is the stress and the strain that is. Um, yeah. That is keeping us from doing this. Rich in 1920 is like, oh, you're bar- college student in 2018. <laughs> I have power. Oh, g- good job, bud. We all right. do. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would be in this one room apartment. Mm-hmm. Hey, it wouldn't be one room. <laughs> be yeah. a room mm-hmm. apartment. Bathroom and, down the street, and the fam- the whole family would still be together. So yeah. So if uh, if one of our borders is already de facto with northern Canada, uh, right? So, right. Like, we already have yeah. one border that's yeah. de facto. So the trouble we'd be in isn't unimaginable. We'd already have an example today of what one looks like, uh, Hody writes. Uh, but this is where I think Hody makes an interesting point. But yes, we are in a different place now. Opening our borders back up would also mean in uh, instituting and repealing policies which would lead society to a place that he says, is libertarian as fuck. <laughs> and so I've never heard it put quite this way. And I thought that, that he made an interesting point that I had never considered. So I'm giving him all the credit instead of taking all the credit myself on this because I, I never had really thought about it like this. If we open the borders completely, we would see a rush of people move in. And so it is a bit of overwhelm the system towards liberty. And so it's it's a little bit uh, of the opposite of overwhelm it towards, you know, fascism. But uh, so we'd have to repeal limitations on self-defense if we open the borders. Without the government vetting who is dangerous and who is not, the people would once again be entitled to protect themselves. Right. Relax. The government is still in charge of providing for the common defense, so a military movement over the borders will still be dealt with nationally. 
Mm-hmm. So we'd we'd have to take better care of ourselves in terms of our own self protection, uh, because there'd be a lot more people who don't. Uh, but but see this this argument though, and this is where I'd quibble with this is that I don't think that most immigrants are criminals. I don't think that he's saying that, but I think the argument is that the reason we have closed borders is we can't just let these murderers in. And so say back to those people, okay, so you don't believe in your right to self defense. Like you're asking the government to decide who who is and who is not a criminal instead of inviting the opportunity to protect yourself more, right? To stress the system in in favor of more self protection, in favor of more gun sales. What kind of Second Amendment activist are you that you <laughs> believe in closed borders? So I think that's a really interesting argument. Um, we'd have to limit or overhaul welfare. Uh, or abolish, I would say. In the event that everybody who came here is unable to provide for themselves, we'd have to cease or significantly reduce the amount of free money going out, turning immigrants from being nothing but risks of burden into nothing but risks of prosperity. Odds are we'd have to implement an often libertarian-backed universal basic income, in which case money enters the system straight through its citizens instead of through centralized banks, which would reduce political buyout and cronyism. Now, I can't speak to this because I have not studied universal basic income at any serious deep level. So, um, but when you have a tremendous amount of people coming in here, the, there is there is access to state welfare. But according to the federal government, with federal programs, you you do if you're an immigrant, you don't have access for five years after your naturalization to welfare benefits. So it's not like you enter this country. Now you can obviously, you know, lie and get fake documents or whatever and get benefits, but you you know, that's fraud and yeah. there's a risk of being found out and being deported and that happens. Correct. And people already do that to get insider anyways. Right. Um, you know, children children can get benefit their children if they're born here, let's say you mm-hmm. you are here illegally and your child's born in the United States, they have access to uh, benefits, but uh, the, that doesn't mean that the parents do. So yeah. sometimes this is an often um, misleading <laughs> argument against, mm-hmm. and it's and it started by Milton Friedman, who said, "I just don't think we can open the borders till we get rid of the welfare state." And uh, then B- Bill Clinton came in and said, "Okay, I'll take that away from you. I'll take that argument away from you," mm-hmm. and it still persists. Right. So, well, the other thing is that. To me, like I don't like it when because like this discussion is also sound like it's happening in a vacuum, because the moment you bring them in here, they're whatever country someone comes from, they're going to want their food, they're going to want their music, stuff like that. So they're going to make money, right, for wherever they come in, just for people who cater to that type of environment and having un, and if let go and allowed to, you know, basically be capitalistic and entrepreneurs. Let's just do the biggest problem I think would be navigating the complicated um, practice inside the United States, like how to start a business, business licensing, taxes. Those would be more of the hindrance that what probably needs to be rolled back, not the welfare state. So going back to that point, um, you know, economist Michael A. Clemens wrote a study called Economics and Immigration Trillion Dollar Bills on the Sidewalk, which you can read in the show notes that I'll put in there. Uh, in it, he observes that countries that open their borders increase their GDP by anywhere between 67 and 147 percent, with a median estimate of doubling GDP. Right now, we're blown away at 4 percent growth. 
Increased GDP is not only the best indicator of wealth, increasing GDP is also the best way to ward off poverty. Uh, lastly, we'd have to reform taxes. Now, now to that point, by the way, um, freedom of movement, freedom of the movement of labor, and the ability to hire whatever labor you see fit is a key component of a free market. So it's hard to call yourself a free marketeer and a capitalist if you believe in closed borders because you're using the power and the force of federal government to make a decision that you can't hire a certain segment of workers. And you are limiting the actual growth of the United States. So that's why when you open up the borders and allow labor to move across, cheap and, and free, you know, not free labor, but cheaper labor to move in, you increase GDP which means more jobs for everybody, especially in the service industry. So all of those people who lost their jobs to maybe the lower-wage workers now can find employment at service jobs. You know, you're going to have to build way more, you're going to have to build more houses and yes, the cheap labor may be building the houses, but you're going to need the HVAC technicians to come in and put the HVAC in. You're going to need technicians to put in, you know, wiring and electrical. Carpenters usually are first-generation immigrants. Electrical engineers, for instance, the, the mm-hmm. people who come in and do the wiring in the house are not. Right. I've worked on construction sites, trust me. Um, so we'll have unions protect those jobs anyways. <laughs> right. So so the, you're, you're opening up, um, when you grow your GDP in that way, you're creating more job opportunities in mm-hmm. the very sectors that jobs are lost. People are just going to have to maybe find a different job. That happened to my dad. My dad could no longer compete in the marketplace of janitorial services in the 90s and switched to marble restoration. He went to he went from something he went from dumping trash cans and mopping floors to a highly specialized skill that paid him a lot more money. Uh, so, you know, and it was a fairly painless transition for him. So, th- it's we sometimes rely on these tropes that just don't really have real-world applications because our bias wants us to confirm them. Uh, lastly, we would have to reform taxes. Given that people can cross borders at will, taxes would need to stop being tied to property and income since both of those taxes can be avoided with an open border. The two most likely scenarios are a flat sales tax that replaces all other taxes or, in the case of universal basic income, no tax at all, and the government keeps a percentage based on how much was given to the citizens. Um, so what are your opinions on that? You were shaking your head. Oh, sales tax. That's awful. I put all this burden on a business owner to collect the government's money for them. Screw that. They want it. They can come collect it them damn selves. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. That's how I just feel about sales I, I always was a fan of the fair tax, you know, back when I didn't believe taxation was theft. So I, I might disagree with you, but. If you, if, you have, if you have to do some theft, any theft at all, right? Right. But theft is awful. How about a dollar? Everyone gives a dollar. <laughs> and if you think the government is being a good steward of your of your money, you can just volunteer to give them more. All right. A $360 million government? Okay. If you think they're <laughs> doing a good job, give them more. Give them more. Maybe not the most realistic uh, tax proposal I've ever heard. Maybe at this they point, need. But maybe they need to do a good job, and maybe someone would give more money. 
Defining closed or heavily regulated borders due to bad state policies only protects the state from itself. Even if we don't deal with these issues first, opening the borders will not create a problem so much as it will reveal these bad policies and demand libertarian change to adjust for the good practice of opening our borders. And so as you increase labor, and trust me, the marketplace can handle it, Mm -hmm. as you saw women enter the workforce in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, you saw entirely new job markets open up, like the nonprofit and the nursing industries. Those are two places... Uh, you know that increased in new new opportunities because women have a different set of goals, social goals, and so they created job opportunities that match those social goals. And so, as new immigrants come in, new job opportunities will happen. I'm, I live in a very highly uh, populated area of immigrants of people, the Chin, the people from Burma, who are Christians who are persecuted from the from right. the Buddhists, mm-hmm. and uh, they they get here with nothing. They come here with what they have on their body at that time, and you know they come into a culture from literally, you know, some in some cases lean tos with dirt floors to, you know, an apartment in Southport, Indiana, and they get Bed Bath and Beyond coupons and they show up at Bed Bath and Beyond for the free pillow because they think that's what it might say. You know, they're complete. They have no idea what a fresh idea card or a Kroger card is. You know, and so um, so I've had a lot of interactions. Just it's like you kind of go to the grocery store, and they're like, eh? and I'm like, hey, I'll, I'm nice and friendly. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden over the last, I've lived in this little area here for about 10 years, and I have seen. Too long. <laughs> well, I have lived here, and I have watched the businesses in this little town go from from English-speaking businesses um, to to more Asian oriented businesses uh, and the amount of the, the amount of improvement on the buildings has been significant yes <laughs> the the area in a lot of places the the businesses when they move in and they create a grocery store for instance all of a sudden when it was a Mexican restaurant it was a dump when it was the, when it was an appliance store, it was a dump, and then it comes in and it turns into an Asian grocery mm-hmm. and, or an Asian restaurant, and all of a sudden the outside of the building starts to look nice because they don't know anything about zoning, they don't know anything about leases. They just like this looks bad. I'm going to fix make my business look good. So the area I have I live in has actually improved because of the immigrants. So it is it is just I find a lot of the stuff just not to match my own eyes, and sometimes as we'll talk about later, I just see political arguments gaslighting me to believe something that my own eyes don't bear out that facts that i read from think tanks don't bear out and just because everybody thinks these things it doesn't mean that they're true right so i can see why you like living down here um it was very easy to get down here from leaving downtown Indianapolis to get down here. I get ten, it. Ten minutes. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. It took me, well, it took um, 18 because there was a small accident on yeah. uh, on the, uh, right before the I-70 and I-65, like, juncture where you have to, like, choose between there. It was an accident, like, right there. Other right. than that, yeah, I was like, wow, I'm already down here. Yeah, just now. it's super easy to get downtown. I'm two minutes from the airport. I'm mm-hmm. I'm ten minutes from any store I might ever need. Yeah, you know I I I, I have Lebensfrau, uh leg room. Mm-hmm. You know I drove from the downtown. I drove from 34th and Keystone. Yeah, uh, and uh, 
where I was a minority, mm-hmm. uh, and then down through Fountain Square, where I my economic class was a minority. <laughs> it was a lot of white trash, <laughs> and and it's just everything's so cramped when you live in that part. Of, like you drive through the parts of the city, and then you get to like my area, and like it's just there's space, but it's still urban. It's still I don't know. I like it. It's um, not urban. Th- this is urban for Indianapolis. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. Like we don't. Well, this is not Philadelphia. Okay, this is barely Jacksonville. Yeah. So, you know the the mindset of our forefathers. You know, we have to ask ourselves: Is opening our borders ethically good or not? Um, so we, you have to look at it multiple ways. Is it ethically good to close your borders and to grow the size of the state to enforce that, or is it economically good to do that? Um, you know, if you look at how previous generations thought about it, let's look at the Statue of Liberty, for instance. It's written in direct opposition to the Colossus of Rhodes, and the Colossus of Rhodes, uh, one of the one of the ancient wonders of the world, appealed to the already strong and well off to maintain their status. And the Statue of Liberty called for the impoverished to become strong and well off. Mm-hmm. It's different missions, and so we're not protecting the. High upper tiers of the economic system were inviting the poor of the world to come here and become part of, and and that is what has happened in America, except for what's happening over the last fifty to one hundred years. We're now becoming more roads where we're trying to protect what we have, as opposed to allowing other people to come in and and grow and help grow America along with us. Um, American poet Emma Lazarus wrote the new Colossus poem that is engraved on the Statue of Liberty, and it goes as such. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land, here at our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. So, it is a definite mindset shift. And I would also say to my Republican friends who believed in closed borders, it is one steeped in Christian ethic. So if you consider yourself a Christian, then obviously opening up your doors when it does not harm you in any way, shape, or form, and in reality, economically, it's going to help you, uh, opening up your doors to the tempest-tossed, those in trouble, those who are the huddled masses, the tired, the poor, and giving them shelter and refuge, and giving them an opportunity to change their position in the world is a very Christian ethic as opposed to, I've got mine, I'm going to protect this with my tight little fists, (laughs) and you're not getting any of it. Yep. So I think it's a very unchristian argument to to, uh, say that closed borders is necessary. Uh, so I would ask you to check uh, check your soul and search your faith to see where you might stand. It's also anti-growth. When you start worrying about like pat, trying to protect your past, you don't 
make and do anything for your future. Right. Let's take the examples that we have. The great um, um, musicians Metallica. Instead of like embracing the future and with streaming music of the internet, they decided to fight it and dig their heels in. And they lost. Yes. And they look foolish. Yep. Uh, let's go with... Um, um, like Garth, Garth Brooks, for instance, could be making billions of dollars on Spotify streaming. But he keeps his closed fence. It's like, I'm going to sell records at Walmart. I'm going to sell CDs at Walmart, and that's how I'm going to make my money. I'm not going to go on Spotify. Nobody listens to your music now. So you're going to be lost to an entire generation because you're trying to get people to change their behavior Mm -hmm. to serve you as opposed to you putting your music where other people already exist. It's, It's backwards thinking. Think of Prince. Most people, most young millennials, have never heard Prince unless someone like older has like hey let me listen you have you ever heard prince 2006 super bowl was the first time i ever heard a prince song oh dear god ever right and it's like okay there's a lot of people like that and they've never heard anything so when you start bringing this song it's like wow this is amazing i was like because it doesn't do anything yeah as where it's michael jackson they yeah they know it on commercials put it everywhere yeah Yeah. um and psy psy from um south korea not uncle psy from duck dynasty no no this uh yeah yeah from from korea yeah and the song um what was it uh goofy song that was gangnam style Style, right went everywhere just like no no go ahead just put it out there put it out there blew up youtube and it showed a lot of different people like okay you're right if we lock our stuff down we don't get the touch this guy has this guy's making all this money because you know, it's easy to share. It's one of the songs they could share, and you just let it go anywhere. Yeah. Um, then you've got um, not let's see, let's say a guy named Edison. All right, Thomas Edison. Right. He decided to spend the last years of his life to go after patents and <laughs> just you know hold on to stuff instead of inventing, While ripping off people like Tesla. <clears throat> he started to go out of patents. You know, I have no proof about that. Um, Edison, and instead of creating no, inventing, fuck. <laughs> Quote me, fuck Thomas Edison. He was a thief. He was a thief. He he signed made. I mean, people the contracts that he that he bamboozled people into. He was a thief. Yeah, Steve Jobs of the early nineteen. Oh, sorry. Mm. No, Steve Jobs. He made Steve Jobs look like that is true. Bill Gates. Yeah, because Wozniak is Tesla. Right. You know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's just luckily like people like listen to Woz. <laughs> But, you know, but yeah, but so he sat around, did all these patents of looking about his past, just trying to do that instead of inventing. Do things that got you here. Yeah. You know, just do. The other thing is, like, I see a lot of people, like, worried about the singularity, the idea that eventually robots are just going to take over and stuff like that. You know, um, things that are pushing that up is the whole uh, minimum wage thing, making minimum wage go higher and higher and higher. But if you make wage cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and, and people come in, you slow this idea, this fictional idea of the singularity of where, you know, robots are going to replace everything with people. Right. Just keep throwing bodies at it. Uh, so to, con- to continue on with the ethics, the ethics idea, uh, American ethicist Jacob M. Appel states that the ethics of open borders are strikingly clear. Treating human beings differently simply because they were born on the opposite side of a national boundary is hard to justify under any mainstream philosophical, religious, or ethical theory. That is not to say that all birthrights are unjust. For example, while being born into a particular, particular family is the result of chance, the right to inherit some of one's parents' property serves useful and meaningful social purposes. 
such as encouraging mothers and fathers to work and save for their offspring. The birthright of nationality serves no social purpose. In contrast, the freedom to travel and to settle where one wishes in pursuit of political freedom or economic opportunity is among the most basic of human rights. Now, to put that in other words, you, uh, we sometimes treat the idea that we need to protect and preserve American society for future generations. Uh, that is a fool's errand. It's not the same as saving money. When you are preserving things for future generations, your goal is to stop the growth of the state. Your job is to preserve human rights. Your job is to keep people uh, like Hillary Clinton from growing the size of the state and robbing you of your uh, your rights, which are which include the freedom of movement, the freedom of speech, the freedom of self protection, the freedom of private property, uh, the freedom of property rights. So the freedom to life uh, and life, liberty, and property, it's, it's all in the Declaration of Independence. Your job as an American citizen in f- passing on a world to the next generation is to pass on the Declaration of Independence. Right. It is not to pass on heritage. Correct. And so the birthright of every American, ought, we ought to consider the, the growth of the state as what we pass on to the next generation. Our parents, the boomers, did a terrible job. Look at the debt. Look at the war that we've had, the wars that we've had to fight. Look mm-hmm. at the, the the student loan debt that that uh, was given to us by them. L- look at the broken healthcare system that we have to fix. Look at all these different things that the boomers and the greatest generation passed on to their children. They passed on a, a growth of the state that we can barely, if ever, recover from in our lifetimes. And so our job becomes rolling that back and passing on liberty to the next generation. And liberty does not include a giant wall. It includes the ability for you to hire whomever you like. Mm-hmm. That is freedom. Yes. And so if you believe in freedom, now listen, I'm, I'm, I've always said that you have the ability and the right to have some cognitive dissonance. Everybody has those issues where you just don't agree with pure libertarian doctrine. Uh, but this is orthodoxy. This is what... A, this is what no government or a small government looks like. And you can say, I don't believe that that is workable, and here's the reasons why, but you better have arguments and facts to back that up. And I think what happens is, I think in my own view of immigration over time, over the last decade, as I have tried to argue against open borders, I've started to see facts and economic numbers and and all these different things that verify that it's like when you really look at human li- liberty for human beings the economics always supports it and this is one of those cases so the atlantic writes what moral theory justifies using wire wall and weapon to prevent people from moving to opportunity what moral theory justifies using tools of exclusion to prevent people from exercising their right to vote with their feet no standard moral framework, be it utilitarian, libertarian, egalitarian, Rawlsian, Christian, or any other well-developed perspective, regards people from foreign lands as less entitled to exercise their rights or as inherently possessing less moral worth than people lucky to have been born in the right place at the right time. Nationalism, of course, discounts the rights, interest, and moral value of the, quote, the other, but this disposition is inconsistent with our fundamental moral teachings and beliefs. 
And so that's the that's the point in foreign policy and in immigration and anything dealing in non-domestic policy. Do other people have the same moral worth as you? I believe so. I don't look at a, as, at a Pakistani and view them as less than me. I don't look at a Muslim and think they're worth less than me. I don't look at a Mexican and say they're worth less than me. They have the same inherent rights that you and I have. They exist under the Declaration of Independence as you and I do. They may not exist under the Constitution, but they all have the basic right to life, liberty, and property. Uh, And using our government to stop that is not something that uh, I can can always buy into so we'll we'll put some of the sources and we'll put this uh, document into the show notes so you can see that harry any final thoughts on open borders this is obviously an ongoing conversation so if you have comments or questions editor at we are libertarians.com or go to we are libertarians.com and leave us a voicemail I will say this to Hodeo and his comments here in the YouTube channel. Like, um, I have really haven't looked that much into universal basic income. It every time I, I even the thought of it just kind of like makes my butthole pucker. Mm-hmm. I don't really like it. Um, the other thing with this whole open border thing is, I like the idea of letting allowing free people to travel where free people go want to go. If people talk about well, we have unfettered access of possible murderers and stuff like that, but you know, like I said, they, they, these borders exist between Illinois and Indiana. You know, south side of Chicago is one of the most dangerous places you can get to in the Midwest. And it's like a two-hour drive from where I sit. You know, there's no border there. So let's, you know, let's be rational here. Let's really think about this. Uh, the other thing with it is when it comes to, like, the whole borders and allowing people to move in, we, we you almost have that connected to the internet the ability that you can touch anyone and communicate and work with anyone right now anywhere in the world we have that through the internet why not have that in in physical meat space we saw the massive boom that happened to the economy is uh is meat space your personal uh social network that you're starting (laughs) (laughs) come join harry on his meat space meat space you know if you hit meat spin, you've gone too far. <laughs> Somebody uh, write that down. I'm I'm starting meat space. Meat space. <laughs> um, where was I? Uh, yeah. So imagine you be able to have that. Like um, the company I worked with, we've got people who work in the quote unquote Mexico Silicon Valley, um, Guadalajara. You know, and they're you, in order to go down there to visit these brilliant, you know, brilliant engineers. You know, I need to, you know, get my passport and go through the hassle of going through this stupid border to go see them, and the, the vice versa for them coming up here to Indiana to be, to see me or see the work that we do here. It's horrible, you know. I, I'm just saying, if you uh, are out there, uh, don't go to meatspace dot com. <laughs> you just go to me. Go to M E E T dot M E A T. Also, don't go to Meat Spin. But if you do go to Meat Spin, please tell me how many spins you got up to. Um, uh, I've, I've, I'm in the thousands, man. There you go. There you go. That's um, a true champ. That you get up. You can get up to four. You know, four digits. All right. So my Facebook, I'm on fire. Uh, <laughs> I think you all need to go follow me. I may not be able to friend you because I'm up to five thousand, but go follow me on Facebook. I'm I'm killing it these days. 
I've I figured out the true purpose of social media, and it's just to shit post. Like, if you listen to this program, I, I don't do any good advertising for this show on social media because if you if you watch me on Facebook, you're like, what an a hole. Uh, is he is he an a hole Republican or an a hole Democrat? Um, but you know, if you listen to this show, I'm very reasonable, I think. Um, but social media, it's really just about provoking and getting a reaction and having fun, and I like to have fun. And so, you know, I, I used to post the long, lofty. Here's here's all these rational thoughts that I've had, and it's like people don't care and they don't read it. They just want to be mad or they want to laugh. Mm-hmm. Like I firmly believe that the internet just comes down to three things: people want to laugh. They want to be outraged about something, or they want to come. There is no other thing on the internet. They, inspiration is worthless on the internet. Uh, so, but uh, you know, we 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 are libertarians daily. I think it was episode two. Talked to Lucy Brenton, but on Monday before her debate, she did excellent in the debate. And uh, man, Mike Braun, the Senate candidate who is the Tea Party favorite, just looked like he uh, so low IQ, so low energy. Just looked disre- He was disrespectful, and he didn't wear a suit. He he looked like a libertarian candidate from the nineties. He had transition lenses, bad mustache, mm. no suit. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Like it's the guy that we would have ma- that the Republicans would have made fun of, uh, not you know twenty years ago. Now, uh, you know Lucy just killed Joe Donnelly, the Democrat, the the incumbent, who's a moderate Democrat, pro life, pro gun is running ads here basically saying, I love Donald Trump and we've worked together. Uh, I know, right? It's weird. <laughs> yeah, it is weird to see the Democrat running pro-Trump ads saying, ah, oh, we're friends. But, uh, you know, it is funny. Once you get into campaign season, you see all of these different people who are like, you know, I want... Uh, what are you going to say, Harry? I was saying that one ad that of Donnelly, like, he misses these meetings and doesn't do anything, and he's not effective. I was like, are you trying to get me to vote for this guy? Right. <laughs> it's exactly right. Yeah, he's ineffective, and he doesn't do anything. Okay, I'm in. Sounds like my candidate. <laughs> you know, and so it is always funny to see people's reactions to a libertarian candidate. Many different people really liked Lucy Brenton uh, mm-hmm. and her performance, and a lot of them were Republicans, people that I came up with and that the were party hats and consultants for the Republican Party were like, this is a great candidate. But it is funny when you talk to people about how for so many years, for two years, we've not had elections now. And uh, you, you hear people say, you know, I, want, I don't want politicians to pander to me. I want them to be honest. And then you get to election season and then they go, you know, I just can't vote for Lucy Brenton because she said ethanol is a waste of money and hemp would be a boon for Hoosier farmers. And a libertarian talking about hemp seems kind of loopy. And, you know, she had some catchphrases and that seemed off. And you just go, you don't want honest politicians. You want to be pandered to. Yeah, you, you want pandering. You want and, the empty suit. Yeah, because if you looked at ethanol, ethanol is awful. It's, that's what's destroying your car is ethanol. Right. All right. You want to know what's making your car break down so fast? All the ethanol and the gasoline. Yeah. And and I just find that when people actually mock a libertarian candidate, especially Republicans, it's because that candidate is effective. Freaking corn. I want corn yeah. in their freaking gas. Yeah. Um, sorry. I just, you know, cars. Sorry. But then, the, but hemp, you don't understand if Indiana does not get his act around, right? And the other part of the country does, like if we move on hemp and marijuana, like we, like the, the state of India moved on alcohol on Sunday sales, 
Indiana Farmers is going to be behind the, you know, going to be behind on on a cash crop. The most, the the best industry right now are marijuana businesses. That's what's growing. Okay, those are what's growing. That's what what, what Silicon Valley is looking at. Is like weed businesses. That's what's growing. Right. It's weed businesses. So the the and obviously, <clears throat> anytime you have a strong libertarian candidate or any libertarian candidate, you get the wasted vote argument. Ah, uh, stealing votes from who? Exactly. And so I posted, uh, and I'll post a link to this in the show notes, but uh, this landmark communications poll in the statewide poll of Georgia, it's not a great poll. It's less than 1,000 people, margin of error at 3.2%. But that number is still, at the end of the day, uh, it it is... uh, Sorry, I'm getting getting texts. Mm -mm 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 -mm. (laughs) So... In <laughs> sorry, <laughs> so uh, so you've got um, Stacey Abrams, the Democrat, Brian Kemp, the Republican, who's an insane person. His campaign ads are full Trump. He's one of those guys that go look up Brian Kemp's ads. He's he's just embraced. I I said it all along. Like the worst part about Trump and Trumpism is that now we have to suffer the millions of of clones that aren't as good or as charismatic as Trump for the rest of our days. And Brian Kemp is one of those people. And Ted Metz, the libertarian. And uh, so if you look at the polling, the total is 48% Brian Kemp, 46% Stacey Abrams, and 2.3% uh, Ted Metz, 3.4% undecided. Uh, now, what is interesting in this actual data, now, the way that I came across this is that I got into a Twitter argument with a, a Democrat. And the Democrat was making the wasted vote argument saying Ted Metz needs to drop out so Stacey Metz can win or Stacey Abrams can win. And so the Democrat was making the wasted vote argument. And I said, what proof? Because this is my new argument to the wasted vote stuff. What proof do you have that those votes are being stolen? And he replied back with the thing that actually disproved his comment. And when you go and you look at the self-identified party line, 91% GOP for Brian Kemp. 91% for Stacey Abrams. Of the GOP self-identified Republicans mm-hmm. who are voting for the Libertarian, it's 0.8%. When you look at the Democrat, 2.9% of Democrats are voting for the Libertarian. Okay, so that leaves, uh, let's see, 96% of voters are just not part of the other two parties. Yeah. So yeah. it's completely negligible. 25% other party and 2.1% independent. So that means almost 70% of the people voting for the Libertarian are non-party affiliated or new voters. And so this is what you see time and time again in exit polling. Because I've been a Libertarian Party hack for, for a decade... <laughs> I've fought the wasted vote argument forever, so I always watch exit polling. I watch these polls. I collect these little things to try and see if I'm right or wrong. And the highest I've ever seen was 33%, 33%, 33%. 33% from a Republican, 33% from a Democrat, and 33% of I wouldn't have voted anyways, I'm a Libertarian, or I'm a new voter. So, but by and large... It is mostly people who aren't going to vote if they don't see an option. So the wasted vote argument is a total myth. The other thing that you can look up is just Google, and I'll put it in the show notes, but you can also Google um, 
the libertarian vote in the age of Obama, and David Bowes, B-O-A-Z, has written two books in Kendall about libertarian votes. So Cato disproves the wasted vote argument uh, time and time again, every time they study it. And so you, you, you can ask that person, what is your actual proof? Where is your data that shows that this candidate is stealing votes from a Republican or a Democrat? I want to see your numbers. Is this just your feeling? Because facts don't care about your feelings. And then let's see what they come back with, because then you can, on the other side, hit them with all of this data that proves that they're a moron. Right. And then you say, not only is it, it not only are you incorrect in your assessment, but you're also un-American, because it is my First Amendment right to gather with other like-minded individuals and speak politically. So I'd appreciate it if you'd stop being wrong un-American, and unethical. The other thing is, you don't own those votes. Your party doesn't own them. You have to win them. You have to win hearts and minds. You have to produce a campaign that makes people want to vote for you. If you own those votes, then what the heck are we voting for elections? Why don't you just give me your attendance polls and we'll just use that. But, you know, it was like, and there should just be an RNL, RLD, everyone hits that straight ticket, we just all go home. But no. No, the party's all broken down. It's like just so people can make choices and decisions based off, you know, campaigns that you run. Right. It's, yeah, that's just not, uh, yeah. Uh, stolen votes is, you know, siren songs of losers. All right, so moving on to the next great thing that I posted. Or honestly, there. libertarians could probably say that the Republicans and Democrats all steal votes for them because they all champion causes that, you know, libertarians have been championing for years. And they just now, get, when they become in vogue, they get onto it. Right. You know? Hold on, I gotta, I gotta text you know, somebody. You keep talking. Libertarians would be like, "Oh, you know, let's just take the um, um, uh, GLBT rights, right? You know, that's libertarian. You know, libertarian. You know, now it's in vogue. Now everyone wants to do it. Small government. Oh yeah, we're small government, except for these wars. <laughs> you know. So uh, the next thing is from uh, Newsweek, and uh, I have verification that I was right on this point. Okay. Rand Paul's wife says she keeps a loaded gun by her bed over fear of liberals. That was a Newsweek headline. And so my friend, Lauren, she posted, she reposted this, but it didn't copy and paste what I posted. It just posted the link. Mm -hmm. And one of her liberal friends wrote, oh, yeah, he's just scared of us. Okay, haha, what an idiot. And then uh, she goes, oh, let me actually paste what he said which was, the headline makes it seem like she is irrational, and yet her husband was shot by a liberal on a baseball diamond, his ribs were broken by a liberal neighbor over politics, and let's not pretend that she's nuts and that politics isn't getting dangerous for those involved on each side. The media is getting worse by day and day. And the person goes, oh, yeah, I forgot about all that. I guess she is uh, totally... The the person who is a liberal said, yeah, I guess she does have a right to be afraid. (laughs) Yeah. So it is just the hysteria that is is going on in the left right now makes it very hard to take any of these people seriously. And I have to wonder at what point do we start to worry about the uh, the behavior of some of these people? At what point do they start turning into to um, to something seriously dangerous? And, you know, when you there was uh, Brooke Baldwin. I wonder if I can find this real quick because it was really stupid but um there's been an ongoing argument about the mob uh the mob the mob word is apparently too harsh for what's been going on 
And so I went to YouTube to actually look up some videos mm-hmm. of what was happening outside of the Supreme Court because it it was a mob. I mean, I I went and you know here is let's listen to CNN mm-hmm. and what they uh, reported on. Right. Uh, whoops, wrong video. So here we go. Oh, the Trump administration for, is the most corrupt leadership that this nation has seen in the modern era. Pocahontas. These are live images, folks, at the doors of the Supreme Court, where you can see protesters have gathered. They are demanding that their voices be heard as they anticipate. Who will what? Who the person who will be a new Supreme Court Justice, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, be sworn in here any moment? And, uh, First of all, th- uh, uh, that woman is as unintelligible as I am, <laughs> and unable to speak. I don't know how she got to where she's at, but uh, very striking. I mean, and so when I went to and I just put into YouTube Kavanaugh protest, and page after page after page of the infinite scroll was just news outlet after news outlet after news outlet. And this is this is the problem with YouTube changing their algorithm. They're favoring media, right? And media sensationalizes now. So I finally found uh, this guy John Zabluski's uh, video. It's like five minutes long, uh, and this is this. Listen to the difference, okay? Of of his experience at that Supreme Court protest. Hear how pastoral that is? Hear how peaceful that is? Compare that to... So that's the problem with YouTube changing their algorithm. You, you take the realism of somebody just rolling tape for five minutes, unedited at one of these things, and kind of getting their experience on tape and seeing, eh, okay... There are some really wild moments here, like people clawing at the door of the Supreme Court like a bunch of crazy people, but that's what the media runs with. Right. And so everybody just assumes that's what the whole day was like, because all you hear is the dotted screaming in the gallery along with the clawing at the Supreme Court doors. Mm-hmm. So everyone is completely justified in saying that this was a mob. Uh, it's a mob. Yeah, because it, <laughs> it's a mob. Yeah. It's people actually losing their minds in anger uh-huh. uh so let me see if i can find but yep yeah yep let's see if we can uh here here this is brooke baldwin um matt lewis uh daily beast writer senior columnist conservative good podcast uh and another conservative on brooke baldwin on cnn here we go I believe it's the overreaction of the left. When you see people like Ted Cruz getting chased out of restaurants by a mob. Oh, when you see, you're when not you, going to use the mob I will, word Oh, here. It's, it's totally a mob. It is without a there's doubt. I mean, it's, it's, there's no other word Matt. for it. It's a, go watch it. Put up the a video mob, of Ted. Stop, stop. A Put mob, up the video. A mob is what we saw in Charlottesville, Virginia, Conservative, two August right? ago. No, yeah. a mob is both. not what we saw chasing. I'm what not about, saying what, what they the did people, was right. What about the people who were at the Supreme Court banging on the walls? What do you mobbing. call that? Civil protest? 
or is that a mob? I think it's easily a mob. She's got her hand in her hand. Yeah, and if it were Tea Partiers, we'd call it a mob for sure. Come on, let's be serious. It's Mary Catherine Hamm, a conservative, and she's exactly right. Because every tea party I ever went to was framed as out of control, crazy conservatives losing their mind, mm-hmm. and then you'd get the they would go that you'd watch them. They would film the most insane person at the tea party rally, and you knew that was the person that was going to lead the news, the person with the most inflammatory sign, not the other five thousand people with normal signs that were handmade and cute little kids and mm-hmm. peaceful people. It was framed as nut jobs. It was all nut jobs. Right. Everybody was insane. Look at these crazy people. They're all dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know, but then these Antifa protesters and then these professional protesters and then these people clawing at the door are not the mob. They're just they're just they're just exercising their right to freedom of speech. I forget what Don Lemon said. Uh, Don Lemon said mob is just too harsh of a word. Uh, you know, they these people are just angry and and upset. He says um uh, is it mob behavior? No, it's not mob behavior. It's people who are upset and they're angry with the way this country is going. I mean, angry people is exactly what a mob is. Yeah, yeah. We're we're talking about like if the Tea Party did a quarter of the violence that Antifa has done, right? You know, it it would have been ridiculous. The Tea Party, you know. Had it been rough to be a tea partier because they started to get known to the ones that would have the protest and would clean up after themselves. It had to be like nerve wracking. You know, yeah. like, oh, we got a protest. Now let's clean this area up. Oh, no. I mean, the Glenn Beck thing, they specifically, he asked and they did this. Mm-hmm. When Glenn Beck had his rally on the steps of the, the Lincoln Memorial, yeah. his people cleaned up the field and there wasn't a speck of trash left on the field. Right. You know, because he knew. Mm-hmm. Conservatives trash National Mall. Mm-hmm. You know, it was out of control. So you have the media leading with this little clip here. <laughs> where they're banging on the Supreme Court doors when really this is this is what it sounds like. And so when people call it a mob because they see images that are specifically crafted to inflame, mm-hmm. then they go, this isn't a mob. What are you doing? It's gaslighting. Right. People like Don Lemon and Brooke Baldwin are gaslighting us. They are showing us images. And then there is no doubt that there were a lot of people involved in these Kavanaugh protests who are mm-hmm. professionals, who are agitators. But the majority of these people are just there because they they're they're Tea Party people for the left. Yeah, you know, and so, but they're they're framed, you know, by the media as just these are these are good people just trying to protest. They're not a mob. Mm-hmm. But if if you had just flipped the signs to an issue that the media cared about, they'd be a dangerous mob, and they would be dangerous because in both cases the media has created that narrative. And then the media says, don't pay attention to your eyes. Don't pay attention to what you're seeing on our networks. You're being crazy. Mm-hmm. It's definitional gaslighting. Right. It is out of control insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just it just makes me crazy. And, and I have to wonder, you know, there is definitely a lot of scary people who are on the left doing a lot of very scary things. But. Yep. Drop man. kicking people at protests. Right. Hitting people with American signs. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> then we have Hillary Clinton. Uh, let's see here. Let's see how long this clip is because there's, there's a lot to break down here. You're here to talk about. All right. So good. We got the whole 10 minute clip. Uh, I'm, pr- I'm going to have to, uh, I haven't gotten text back. Uh, he might've forgotten. I have a thing at eight o'clock. 
and that's why we start a little early, but he may have forgotten. So, uh, because I really want to break this down. Hillary Clinton f- lost because she's a big fat phony, mm-hmm. and everybody hates her because nobody believes a word that this woman says. Yeah. It's, she, so she finally tr- told the truth. We have always known and have always said that Hillary Clinton is the person that wrote her senior thesis about Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky was a union mob fixer, a union, a, a mobster, uh, I forget what he did for the mob, but then decided, you know, we need to bring these mob tactics to progressive ideals and we need to, and he wrote the book Rules for Radicals. He, he talks about voluntary societies. He's a leftist anarchist. And so I think anarcho-capitalists especially would get a lot, find a lot of similarities in what he talks about. Uh, I just have read the book recently. And what I found with Alinsky is he takes those mob tactics and he applies it to politics. And so Hillary Clinton was somebody in the late 60s who was moved by Alinsky. Uh, so was Barack Obama. We have, we have always heard from the right that these people are really just deep down leftist agitators they want uh, they want socialism they're they're you hear these these things or you're just like okay all right he's just all right he's hanging out with bill Ayers, but there's no causation you know but and so with hillary clinton there's always this this thing where it's like you're like the kid when your parents are turned around facing the road you're just punching your sister Mm-hmm. And then when your 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 parents turn around, you're just smiling, and you know. And even no matter how much your sister cries, everybody knows you're the one punching her. Your parents know it, but they had they didn't see it, they didn't catch you, right? You know. And so there's always a lot of uh, misrepresentation and gaslighting with Hillary Clinton. You know, and so this interview that she gave to Christiana, no, I'm, 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 I'm poor, uh, on CNN, they're buddies, they're bros. Uh, let's not pretend that Amanpour is a an objective journalist. No one on CNN is anymore. Uh, I mean, you're talking about someone who a year ago was watching CNN all day at work. Like, and, and over time, I just couldn't take it anymore because it became Fox News of the left. It's like, I'm just not, I, I can't watch cable news anymore. Um. And so she gives this interview, and all of the sudden, the projection on this woman starts coming out because she's dropped. You know, part of what Alinsky says is we need to put on the suit, we need to wear the tie, we need to drop the radical pose for the radical ends, we need to look like somebody that is a regular person, that is a politician that you can trust, all while having radical goals to move us. And she's just kind of given up on that. And so here's so let's take a listen to the first part of this interview on CNN. The crisis in democracy, not just in the United States, but now whenever somebody talks about the crisis in democracy, what they mean is Donald Trump won and you lost, Hillary. That's a crisis of democracy. People didn't vote the way I wanted them to vote. Also around the world. Let me just take you back to election night 2016 when you said we have to give him a chance. We have to let him, you know, let him prove himself and lead, talking about then-President-elect Trump. Now you say you think you are overly hopeful. Mm -hmm. What precisely about democracy has you worried? Well, really, five things. And um, I started worrying at his inauguration, uh, both because of what he said in his speech, which I thought was uh, defiant, defensive, dystopian. It wasn't a speech to bring... Defiant and defensive, Hillary... T 
Meet Kettle. Bring together people who had not supported him, but instead it was aimed, as I say in my book, what happened at, uh, you know, the white nationalist gut. And then over the course of now two years nearly since the election, we have seen him degrading the rule of law. We have seen him delegitimizing. Oh, I don't know, like running guns through Benghazi up to uh, the Syrian conflict without a declaration of war against the country of Syria? You mean like that degradation of the rule of law, Hillary? You know, when, when she talks about he doesn't appear to be representing all of the people, is there anything in your mind that says that Hillary Clinton, as a libertarians, do you think Hillary Clinton gives a flying frick about you? Hillary Clinton cares about her people. The thing about Donald Trump is that Donald Trump cares about his people and makes no bones about it. And that doesn't include you and me, but at least you know where he stands. Like with Hillary, it's this fake, phony BS that they're they're representing all of the people. It's these fake platitudes that people Mm -hmm. just see through. She's full of crap. Our elections, we have seen him spreading corruption, both him personally, his family business, others in his administration. The Clinton Foundation? Why do you think Bill and Hillary are going out to speak together on the college circuit tour? Because Russia's not paying them money anymore. We have seen him also attacking uh, truth and facts, even reason itself. And I don't know. Uh, you were in the Senate when, uh, in the lead up to the war on was was she? Yeah, she was a, a United States senator in two thousand and three. Lead up to Iraq, Correct. she voted to authorize uh, the she war did. in Iraq, and fundamentally trying to undermine our national unity. So, I was um, hopeful. Uh, bitter clingers pot of deplorables, you know, unity like that. I wanted to give him a chance. I think every new president deserves a chance. But every month that's gone by, I've become more and more worried about um, how he governs and how he treats people. Last night, President Trump... How he treats people. I'm not even going to bring up Vince Foster because I don't want to seem conspiratorial. (laughs) Trump had a sort of ceremony for now Justice Kavanaugh at the White House, and he apologized on behalf of the American people for the immense amount of pain and harm uh, that, that he said that the judge had been put through by this system. What do you make of that? And what message, including the president's mocking of Christine Blasey Ford for her allegations, what message does that send to women? And remember, women went for president. Did you actually hear the mocking of Blasey Ford? Did you ever hear that audio clip? Not all the way through. All right. It's been repeated over and over and over that he mocked her. Yeah. Now, when Donald Trump mocks somebody, he really goes all the way. We played in the beginning. I don't know what I said. I don't know what I said. He basically was repeating what she said. Now, was it appropriate for the United States president to be bringing that stuff up? No, I wholeheartedly agree with that. But to characterize it as mocking was, uh, for Donald Trump, a stretch at best. Yeah, especially but, for Donald Trump. But if you just repeat it enough times, it becomes the truth. President Trump white in women. 2016, white women. White women. All women went for me. And look, white women have been uh, voting against Democratic presidential candidates for uh, decades now. Uh, the white vote has only been won twice in the last um, 60 years, uh, my husband being one of the two, uh, Lyndon Johnson being the other. So it's not a surprise. It's a dis- that is true. She's telling facts, yeah. Disappointment, but it's not a surprise. Um, what was done last night in the White House was a political rally. It further... Uh, Harry, take a look at this image here. Uh, does that look like a political rally? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. political rally. Right. But the, uh, yeah. It's uh, President Trump standing in front of a podium at the White House, Justice Trump Kennedy Tower. to his left, uh, Brett Kavanaugh to his right. With his boys next to him. In, in, in the White House, I think that's the Red Room maybe behind them. It's Trump Tower. It's the hallway. It is. Uh, it was an official ceremony. If you watch any of it, it was not a political rally. And Donald Trump refuted this by saying, "Well, Hillary Clinton never got it, and that's why she lost." Her undermined the image and integrity of the court, um, and that troubles me greatly. It's saddened. This is this is why Donald Trump drives the left crazy, because my entire life in politics, watching since 1998 on, I really I went to Washington D.C. I think in '96, and I fell in love with the place on a sixth or seventh grade trip. And so I started paying attention to politics from then on. And I remember going to CPAC in 2003, and I remember the talk being like, why can't we have our own activist core like the left has? And, you know, we just get beat up. The narrative on the right when I was a Republican in the early 2000s, and it's always kind of been that way from conservatives, is I'm tired of losing, I'm tired of losing, I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of getting beat down. I'm tired of having to apologize. I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of losing. And... What the natural inclination for those on the right was uh, Brett Kavanaugh gets confirmed, they win the victory, but then they don't do anything else with it. They kind of hide it and pretend that it doesn't exist. Donald Trump comes out and and puts together the exact same swearing-in ceremony that every other justice that I've seen in my lifetime get, Mm -hmm. and he opens it with, I'd like to apologize to Brett Kavanaugh's family for what they went through. And that is what drives the left crazy, because that that lack of an apology or that lack of we're sorry for being Republicans, we're sorry for being conservatives, we're sorry for being libertarians, we're sorry for not agreeing with the mainstream press, we're sorry, that lack of sensibility pisses them the fuck off, because they don't want that to continue. They want continues to, for Republicans, conservatives, and libertarians, and make no mistake— even if you come from the left, even if you consider yourself a leftist libertarian, you will be the first to get shot <laughs> at the end when the gulag comes. Like there, There is no doubt that unless you completely buy into every aspect of the ideology of the most extreme parts of the leftist crowd, which is starting to take over the party, you are not part of their group. It is, in their mind, us versus them. It is the same ideology as the radical Muslim. And so I have preached togetherness forever. But I have realized over the last several months, there is no winning with these people. There is no common ground. These people do not want us to exist. And it doesn't matter that as libertarians we agree with them on foreign policy. We agree with them on open borders. We agree with them on the drug war. We agree with them on LGBT rights. We agree with them on so much. At the end of the day, they don't care about that. We're just, we're just the last phase. Right. And so they characterize you as the right. So your fate is lumped in with the right. Mm-hmm. You might as well just get over that fact. Because yeah. there is – you, and you may be in your car right now going – Ah, he's just biased towards the right, and he just doesn't get it. You just don't get it yet. No, they'll bash you. You pay attention long enough, and you'll get it. Yeah, you're part of the fascist. They'll bash you too. Yeah, you're a fascist to these people, and so you better wake up and realize that it's us versus them. 
because they're making it that way. Yep. And if you hold enough um, cryptocurrency, you've got money. Guess what? You're rich. Eat you. Yeah. Eat you too. Yep. And I'm not talking about Hillary Clinton. I'm not talking about regular Democrats. I'm not talking about the Joe Donnellys and the Joe Manchins and the, you know, even the Susan Murkowskis or, or uh, what's her name? Murkow. What is uh, Murkowski's? It's not Frank. That's her dad. I can't think of it. I, I get stuck on this all the time. I, I apologize to the senator from Alaska. Uh, Susan Collins and Murkowski. I get those two confused all the time. It's because they're women. They all look alike. Uh, Pretty much. <laughs> right. But but at the end of the day, I'm not talking about the moderate Repo- Democrat. I'm not talking about like my friend uh, Jenny. I'd love to have Jenny on the show sometime. She is a very solid liberal. She is somebody that we have a lot of disagreements, but we have very good conversation with each other. We get along. Mm. Uh, you know, this is not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the person who is beating on the Supreme Court door with the bandana around their face that is majorly influencing the Democratic Party at this moment. And we need we need the Jennies and the Donnellys of the world to stand up to these people because they're first. And uh, but th- those there there is very little common ground with a lot of these people. And Hillary Clinton finally tells the truth. Uh, so let's continue on with what she says. Me because our judicial system has been viewed as one of the main pillars of our constitutional government. So I don't know how people are going to react uh, to it. I think. Given our divides, it will pretty much fall predictably between those who are for and those who are against. But the president's been true to form. He has insulted, attacked, demeaned women um, throughout the campaign, really for many years leading up to the campaign. And he's continued uh, to do that uh, inside the White House. Kellyanne Conway, the presidential advisor. Not going to argue with her because she's right talked about this process and she said it looks very much like a vast left-wing conspiracy. It echoes what you said about when your husband was being pursued by the investigations back in the 90s, a vast right-wing conspiracy. Freudian slip. First of all, your comment on that mirrored language. And secondly, do you see any way, even a conservative thing who I was speaking of yesterday said the only way to repair America is to try to get back to some civility and to try to make it that even if we have political disagreements, we're not going to war with each other. We're not trying to destroy each other. Well, certainly I would love to see us return to civility, listening to one another, uh, working out our differences. That is not the Republican Party that exists today, and that is certainly not the administration that we have in power right now. When the Republican Senate denied the right of President Obama to have his nominee for the Supreme Court, Merrick Garland, uh, heard. I think you. Which was something that uh, was really called the Biden rule from decades earlier (laughs) that McConnell just carried on. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not to get into the he said, she said bullshit, but. It, it's like to blame it. This is what the the left and the right does all the time. That they gaslight each other. They confuse us. They get us all crazy over things. Like, well, McConnell did this. Okay, well, Harry Reid did this. Well, then McConnell did this, and then now Booker did this. It's like that's not an argument. Okay, so w- what are the rules going right. to be? How do you? How does this actually work? And so to to say because the right doesn't play fair, we can't play fair either. There is no civility left. She's saying. That what she's always believed 
she's finally giving up the bullshit that didn't work as a campaign tactic in 2016 is when they go low, we go high. We're better than this as a nation. That appeal, this is the fundamental that I change that I have seen in the left over the last two months. Mm-hmm. As we get closer to the election, and you better believe it's going to happen in 2020. Oh yeah, it has gone from we need to be better than this, and pretending that they are the guardians of morality and ethics in Washington D.C., and that if you elect them, they will return us to a time when, when civility reigned. And Donald Trump is a grotesque human being, but if you elect us, then we will we will restore the 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 rules of the senate and the the norms that we saw before and what i have seen out of the left is they're embracing the trumpian worldview yeah, trumpsonian the, the, both sides are doing this Con, you know you see a lot of republican candidates embracing it and the left is embracing it now too you see cory booker raving like a madman when he's somebody that Rand paul was working on on criminal justice reform like to a very reasonable person that I followed for over a decade when I saw him in Street Fight, the documentary that you can watch, I think, on Netflix. Um, you know, and he's just always been a very reasonable Democrat. I liked him a lot. And then all of a sudden, the last couple of months, he's turned into a nut job. And I'm right. like, why? Oh, he's trying to be Donald Trump because Donald Trump won by playing to his base. So now Cory Booker's going to do the same. And so there isn't the apology. They're not apologizing. And this has always been the problem that I've said about Donald Trump from the beginning. When you lose the most maorium, when you lose the political norms, when you lose the societal norms, and you say these norms don't matter, then that gives license to everyone to behave the same way. And that is what led to the downfall of the Roman Empire, or the Roman Republic, and slid into an empire over the course of 150 years. And we're in the beginning of that, and we're the guardians of the Republic at this point. And by saying the the norms that Donald Trump breaks don't matter because the Clintons did it, you are saying it is okay for everybody to behave a certain way. So this is where we're at. So now the left is saying, well, if they're going to behave badly, we can behave badly too. The problem is the left is so steeped in organization going back 150 years that they're better at it. (laughs) That's why none of these protests are organic. I hate protests because... The first women's march was spontaneous and great, and women who were coming out just spontaneously to meet each other and protest. And then you go to the second one. I went to the second one here, and it was nothing but leftist groups that had had taken over. It became a data collection bucket mm-hmm. for Washington groups, Washington interest groups. The Tea Party Express eventually just took over the Tea Party. Same thing happened with the right. Protests are great if you go to the first one. The one that's spontaneous. Everything else is just a collection tool for the swamp. Yeah. So don't even go and participate. Yeah. Ernest Hancock always said that you want to see a movement grow, don't talk, don't try to control it. Yep. The moment you try to put any controls on it, you, you just killed it. Someone always does. And so now we're seeing Hillary Clinton say, it doesn't matter if you get up in their face. It doesn't matter if you show up and, and create a mob outside the Supreme Court or if you harass Ted Cruz out of a, out of a dining hall. Like, back when the Republicans were acting like nut jobs and Joe Wilson was screaming from the balconies, you lie, for days after that that uh, um, State of the Union address, every Republican had was asked the question on cable news, do you agree that this is appropriate behavior for a congressman? You don't see one leftist politician, Democratic politician, progressive politician, af- activist, 
individual anywhere on the news being asked, do you feel it's appropriate for a senator to be harassed? Do you feel it's appropriate for this? To, when Maxine Waters said what she said, we need to get up in their faces everywhere. That damn coffee maker. <sighs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so... It, 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 there isn't the same question. The standard doesn't exist for the conservatives in the press. You even wrote that they stole a justice from the Democratic well, I think, Party. I, I think they did. I, I mean, to keep a Supreme Court seat open for a year, uh, to deny a distinguished jurist, they could have voted him down. They could have said, well, for ideological reasons, philosophical reasons, uh, we're not going to vote for him. But no. By the way, Merrick Garland and Judge Brett Kavanaugh voted together 93% of the time on, on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. So not feel I, I really have seen a lot of remorse over Brett Kavanaugh, and I think 10 years from now we're going to be going, ah, bad pick. Oh, they stonewalled. And that was such a breach of Senate ethics and the constitutional responsibility of Uh, the Senate to advise and consent on nominations, that you cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. That's why I believe if we are fortunate enough to win back the House and or the Senate, that's when civility can start again. But until then, the only thing that the Republicans seem to recognize and respect is strength. And you heard how the Republican members, led by Mitch McConnell, the president, really demeaned the confirmation process, uh, insulted uh, and attacked not only uh, Dr. Ford, but women who were speaking out. You know, look, I remember. None of that happened. (laughs) Uh, the, The closest thing that McConnell ever said was, Uh, This mob is coming after people like Ted Cruz, which was accurate. Yes. But then it got spun into he's attacking women. None of of what she just said happened. She's lying right there. So be uncivil because all they respect is strength. Get in their grill. Be as uncivil as possible. And then when we have power again, behave. We need you to behave then because then... If you misbehave, we can't we can't enact our plans because the news will be about you misbehaving. So the woman is just saying you have you have carte blanche to do whatever you like. Activists, go mm-hmm. for it. Yeah, that's the only language they speak. Let's return to the 1960s. This is this is a person who won the popular vote of the presidency, mm-hmm. a former senator, right? A former secretary of state mm-hmm. saying that. Violent extreme extremist behavior is okay in the United States as long as it's done by the left, but not at Charlottesville. No, that is not okay. <laughs> right. Remember Republican operatives shutting down the voting in Florida uh, in 2000. I remember the swift voting of John Kerry. I remember the things that even the Republican Party did uh, to John McCain in 2000. I remember what they did to me for 25 years, the falsehoods, the lies, which unfortunately people believe because the Republicans have put a lot of time. Um, ma'am, the birther movement was started by you. Barack Obama's not a citizen came out of Lanny Davis's hands and, and Podesta's hands and all of your, all of your little hatchet men. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm money and effort in promoting them. 
So when you're dealing with an ideological party that is driven by the lust for power, that is funded by corporate interests who want a government that does its bidding. All of the major corporations donated to you, Hillary. Yep. How many Goldman Sachs speeches did you give? Right. You're so full of shit. You can be civil, but you can't overcome what they intend to do unless you win elections. And so the answer to everything is to get back to a balance, to get back to what uh, is called regular order. They don't even have committee processes. They, the idea that they wouldn't... St- they are playing by the same template as the Obama year senates, of which she was a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was not a part of it. But regular order broke at the end of the Bush administration, and it never returned. Democrats controlled the Senate by 60 votes at one point during Obama's uh, tenure. They could have returned us to regular order when they were in control of the Senate then. It's so hypocritical at every turn. I just, I'm done playing this. There's like four minutes. You can go watch the rest if you really (laughs) hate yourself. But, uh, you know, this is just unbelievable lying (laughs) that, that she's doing here. She is, she is such an enormous part of the problem mm-hmm. she has been at the core of liberal activism since the late 60s she and bill were in the white house for eight years they ran the clinton foundation she was the secretary of state she ran for office twice she has run the dnc for the better part of 30 years now she is i the part of the problem like all like the reason her servers were deleted is so all incriminating evidence could be deleted 33,000 emails are missing so we just couldn't find them and bring them up that we think are missing right this is the woman who rigged the rigged the primary Mm -hmm. against Bernie Sanders correct so for you to come out and and moralize to us from your lofty position that Donald Trump is bad Mm-hmm. When you are the biggest piece of garbage in American political history, yeah, when go her, after yourself. Yeah, her corporate money destroyed Bernie's non-corporate money, right? You know, and then try to paint the narrative of Bernie Bros. These Bernie Bros are out here doing this, right? All right. Well, we got to start wrapping up. I uh, figured, you know, if we're going to talk about open borders, we got to give some red meat to the more conservative people. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, you know, all right. So, final thoughts, Harry. Um, let's see. It comes down to it, allow free people to travel where free people need to go. Restricting someone's movement is just, it grows the state. It grows government. If you feel that the um, they're going to come in and mess with wages or other things going on, then you're just manipulating the market using the force of government still. Yeah. It's just instead of it goods, you're using human bodies. I'm sorry, Hillary Clinton just a garbage person. I'm just puked in my mouth. Just and <laughs> just trying to think of a good way, to like to go after. But it's just because there's still people on the left, like that will defend her, even though you throw and show them sources and just tell them to do a simple duck duck go search. Just go read Clinton Cash. Yeah, they they won't. They will not. They will not. You can put everything in front of them, and they're like, "Well, Trump." N- Trump's not my guy. This is your guy. My guy smoked weed and climbed a mountain. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Anything else? Um, 
No, yeah, that's that's it. I uh, only thing goofy thing I do have to say is kind of hard for me to say like Hody's name because every time I say it or hear someone say it, I think of a pirate from One Piece. That's about it. Fisherman pirate. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Hody's a good boy. We like him very much. We like everybody who listens to We Are Libertarians. You're all good people. We thank you very much. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, share it. If you didn't, share it anyways. Say somebody might like this garbage. All right. Thanks for listening to uh, We Are Libertarians. Uh, please give those Wall Dailies a chance. I know it's different. I know we don't like change, but I think you'll enjoy the content. Pick out uh, the ones that you like and listen to it. And uh, stay tuned for more got the, the next couple days already booked out so very good stuff on the way from we are libertarians especially as we enter into this crazy 2020 election cycle Whew. it's just around the corner kids middle of next year we're starting 2020 yep it's gonna be real lit it's gonna be crazy if you think you're nuts now wait until then all right guys we'll see you uh we'll see you tomorrow